This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 137 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. In this episode, I am sharing a clip from my recently released training about how to be evidence-based and neurodiversity affirming by supporting executive functioning. The clip of the training that I'm going to share today has a couple of different segments. It starts off with the segment where I'm kind of wrapping up the discussion about why students continue to experience anxiety even though they're going to therapy. As a disclaimer, I always say I'm not saying that therapy is bad. I'm just saying that the model needs to fit the skill that you're working on. And many times the interventions that are being done for kids are not adequately addressing executive functioning. And as a result, anxiety about new and challenging experiences is persisting. 
If you want to see the entire training, you're going to want to go to drkarendudakbrandon.com backslash EF leadership or check out episode 136 of De Facto Leaders, where I share the clip and the portion of the presentation where I discuss the relationship between time blindness, executive functioning, and anxiety. So that's the very first portion of the clip that you're going to hear today. And then I discuss social skills groups. Social skills groups have been widely criticized. They're often labeled as ableist or said to not be neurodiversity affirming. And I also have an issue with the way social skills interventions are often delivered, but for a different reason. When social skills intervention is done, it's often delivered via a one-on-one therapy model or in a pull-out model in a group of kids where the child receives intervention in therapy or a small class setting that's typically led by an adult. I get regular emails from readers who are using this model and they consistently report that they see poor generalization. And the reason that this is happening is because there's a mismatch between the skills that they're working on and the model they're using to address those skills. Back when I was in the schools, I did social skills groups as well, but I started to question my own practices when I had an opportunity to teach an autism course for teachers earning a master's degree with a specialization in autism. I actually taught several courses in this area. One was in service delivery in the schools and one was related to transition planning. And when I started to teach these courses and really go through the curriculum, And during this time, I started to question my original assumptions about how to address things like social skills, pragmatic language, and executive functioning. And obviously, I'll give more context in the clip that I'm about to share. But my primary takeaway from that experience, both teaching those graduate students as well as some of the shifts that I made in my own practice, was that service delivery model matters just as much as the intervention and the strategy that you're using. There are many skills that can be adequately addressed in a pullout model. There are even some skills that can be more effectively addressed in a separate, more structured context, as opposed to a less structured social situation or a classroom setting. And there are even some times when you can addressed some social skills issues in a very quiet pullout setting. But all of the social skills intervention can't happen in a pullout model. A good portion of it needs to happen outside of the therapy room with the right supports in place. Kids need to have real life experiences to be able to apply that information. Otherwise, they're not going to generalize. This means we need to stop delivering siloed off services and start to work together as a team. So the conclusion that I have drawn from the large amount of clinical experience, research, and personal experience with this particular issue is that I don't believe all social skills interventions are ableist. I believe that ineffective social skills interventions set kids up to experience social anxiety and miss out on opportunities to build skills and relationships. And that often makes kids feel awkward and anxious about unstructured social situations instead of getting opportunities to build competence. I recently released a training for speech pathologists, social workers, counselors, psychologists, and other related service providers and educators who want to support executive functioning. 
So in this episode, I'm sharing a clip from that training. This portion of the training, I discuss why the pull-out model doesn't work for social skills and what it really means to be neurodiversity affirming. And again, this is based on my many years of experience as a clinician, a mentor to therapists and teachers, as well as someone who has personally experienced social anxiety and continues to experience it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, if you do want to see the full training, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EF leadership. But now please enjoy this episode. In this first part of the clip, I'm going to talk about checklists and planners and what we actually need to do in order to use these tools effectively. This goes along with the discussion on whether or not the skill fits the model that you're using. And the reason that this goes along with the discussion on social skills and this whole conversation about service delivery is because many times therapists aren't addressing executive functioning in their sessions and the teachers think that they are putting executive functioning support in place in their classroom because they're using things like lists and assignment notebooks. And while that is part of what needs to happen, there is a lot more to it than that. So the first part of the discussion is about what internal skills you need to do in order to be using a list effectively. Really understanding how to get to that generalization is about understanding what skills you need to work on. And many times this is just simply a lack of information and support. So both the teacher and the therapist providing support for kids need to have access to the right information on these skills. And then they also need to have administrative support in finding time and the resources to put these things in place. And why we need to consider multiple service delivery models, as well as some instructional coaching and mentorship between team members. Now I wanted to talk about the strategic planning element and helping kids to have strategies is something that can help us get ahead of that anxiety. Because imagine how anxious you feel if you're unprepared, you don't know where your things are, and you don't know what steps to take in order to dig yourself out of that hole. So in our therapy session, everything is nice and structured. We, they, we're, we're pulling out all the tools and the pieces. We're putting them in place for kids and we're giving them a tool and we're showing them exactly what to do. The whole scenario is set up for them. Then we stick that tool that we've just helped them to use and we stick it in a big toolbox. In a practical sense, usually that's something like a child's school bag, for example. Then we send them out into the world and they've got to figure out how to dig through all those tools we've just given them and decide when to pull it out. Since the scenario that we shared with them in therapy was nice and safe and everything was set up for them, then it's going to feel different when they go out into the world and have to navigate all these other scenarios. A lot of times people will work with kids on some of those organizing tools in a separate setting, and then they will send that tool out with the child. So there is an attempt at some continuity there, but then there's a disconnect. And let me show you why that's the case. So checklists, organizing tools, planners, timers, things like that are often used in classrooms 
So we at least are on the right track with thinking we've got to give kids some tools to help them to stay organized. But the checklist in itself, just like the behavior chart, is not going to teach executive functioning skills. It's a tool. It's not a strategy. It's external. And there are a lot of internal things that need to happen in order for you to use that list effectively. So let's walk through some of them. So what are the things that we have to do in order to use a list effectively? Well, first, we have to go through that first process that I just described. We have to know when to pull it out. So that's the first step. Then if we've identified that a list would be beneficial for us, which oftentimes kids don't even get to that part, they don't even pull the right tool out of the toolbox. Well, the first thing that we have to do if we do pull it out and realize that it's relevant is that we have to envision the end goal. We have to think about where we're going and how that list is going to get us there. We have to visualize the steps to take, the materials needed, things like that. We have to estimate how long it will take because that might impact what goes on that list. We have to think about potential obstacles or contingencies that might help us to add some steps to the list or materials that we might need. We have to generate different options in case things go wrong using those fluency skills. We have to encode the steps or the materials into language. This is a big one. Once we've gone through those internal processes, we have to put them into language to know what to physically write down on the list. Then we have to actually write it down, which if kids have spelling issues, that might be a challenge. Once we've written it down, we have to initiate the first step, which means that we have to pull those internal motivation skills in. We have to continually evaluate our progress towards the end goal and notice the time as we're using that list. Are we on track? Do we need to shift and redirect? Sometimes when you use a list and you're going through it, you realize that you forgot something and you need to add it. You have to continually remind yourself to go back to the list. Not only do you need to pull it out, but you need to remember to go back to it when you're in the middle of whatever it is you're doing. Then you have to also utilize that episodic memory and apply whatever you've learned to future situations. So once you go through the list, you might learn that, whoops, I forgot something that I need to add next time that I do this. And then you also have to use those episodic memory skills when you're generating the list in the first place, all the while engaging in visualization, self-talk, and encoding throughout the process. But the way that lists are often used in the classroom is that the list is written on the board and the child writes it down. That is one part of this entire process. So you can see how we've jumped past all the internal skills that need to happen, and then we're giving no support throughout. So this is why when kids are given a list that's been written for them, or when they're having to just copy things down into their assignment books, those lists or those planners often aren't effective because the adult is doing the visualization, self-talk, and encoding before, during, and after the list is made and is essentially doing the executive functioning for the kid. We are essentially doing that self-talk for them. And then kids learn that they don't have to use that part of their brain and take that pause and actually think and problem solve in order to figure out what to do next. Organizing tools like timers, lists, and planners are what we use when we are already engaging our executive functioning skills. They do not teach executive functioning skills. So while they can be one small piece 
of what we're doing and what we're using, they are not the entire process. And this is often where people get stuck. So now you're starting to see what executive functioning is and why it's a protective factor for a lot of those academic, social, and emotional issues that are impacting kids. So the main thing is that things like behavior charts, talk therapy, and lists They need to be used in conjunction with direct teaching of some of those internal planning skills, which is why kids continue to struggle with problem solving and friendships, even though they're going to pull out therapy and social skills groups. Now I'm going to segue to the part of the training where I talk about why social skills groups often don't result in generalization. And shortly after that, I go through what it means to be neurodiversity affirming. And I think that this can help clarify a lot of the misconceptions around social skills groups, why the original way we were doing them wasn't beneficial for kids, but also why we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and not address these skills at all. I will a couple times in this training be referencing things on the screen because this is taken from a video training. I'm just putting it in audio format so you have another way to consume it. But as I mentioned before, remember you can view the whole training by going to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EFleadership. Now, when we think about how social skills groups are arranged, they're typically arranged in kind of a classroom. A lot of times they're small groups. Sometimes the group might be a little bit bigger, but the point is, is that they are an academic setting like the one on the left. So kids are sitting there, maybe they have to raise their hands to be called on, but the teacher is presenting information, guiding the discussion. So they're the ones that are providing the structuring around who talks when and things like that. Why that does require you to read the room, it's very different from another setting that might be even more unstructured, like recess or a sporting event, like the one on the right. Think about the skills that you would need in order to read the room in a classroom setting that is a lot more structured versus a soccer game when there's a lot going on. And if you have a child who is struggling in a particular unstructured social situation and you're teaching it in a format like the one on the left, that's a completely different skill set. Now, of course, if we're talking about social skills, we need to address the question of what does it mean to be neurodiversity affirming? So here is an overview, and then I'll go into some specific examples. So first, we want to make sure that there's evidence that the strategy works for the diagnosis or population that we're working with. We want to make sure that the model that we're using to provide services gives opportunities to practice a skill. So obviously, I've been talking a lot about how we want to consider pullout versus strategies in the classroom or using things like consultation and training. You can see why considering multiple service delivery models is important for executive functioning. We also want to make sure that the strategy is appropriate based on learning differences and that the service plan that we have delivers what the individual needs to build the skills that they need to reach their goals. So the real question that we want to be asking is, What skills does the student need to be successful and how do we get them there? So obviously punishing for skill-based issues is not neurodiversity affirming, but scaffolding across settings, meaning providing the appropriate supports so that students have the tools and the skills that they need to complete the tasks that you're asking them to do 
that is neurodiversity affirming because you're providing supports that students need to be able to get things done so that they can learn new skills. It is important that we hold kids accountable, but we want to make sure that they are able to do the things that we're asking them to do. And when we go about teaching kids about accountability and getting work done, because this is an important life skill, we don't want to do it with abstract reward systems because that's not going to help them learn the skills that they need for that internal motivation. Instead, we want to make sure that we communicate clear expectations, choices, and consequences. So it's not that we're getting rid of consequences at all. It's just that we're communicating it in a way that is within kids' time horizon and that is within their skill sets. Giving tools without teaching skills to use those tools is not neurodiversity affirming because it does not take the neurological profile and the diagnosis into account. It also does not take the individual support needs into consideration. On the other hand, giving tools plus the supports and instruction across settings in order to use those tools is neurodiversity affirming and evidence-based. Now, this next one isn't often talked about within the context of being neurodiversity affirming, but I think it needs to be mentioned here because doing the executive functioning for kids is not neurodiversity affirming because it's not giving them the opportunity to learn an important life skill that's going to help them proactively manage their anxiety or build the skills that they need to be confident and build relationships. On the other hand, using the appropriate language and modeling while they're going through some of those challenging tasks and allowing them the opportunity to practice and engage in independent problem solving is neurodiversity affirming because you're providing them the opportunity to build those skills that they need to be successful. A different word that we could use instead of affirming here is just considering, because if we don't provide these opportunities, then what lies ahead of them is going to be much more stressful. Preventing discomfort and allowing avoidance is not neurodiversity affirming. Avoiding anxiety-inducing situations actually increases anxiety. Now, of course, we need to be aware of someone's frustration threshold and their skills, but we do need to strategically increase the difficulty of the tasks and allow individuals to go through those learning curves. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to decrease their anxiety for those unfamiliar situations. Next, we have to consider things like self-regulation and self-talk. Those are things that help us evaluate situations. So they are tied to executive functioning skill-based issues. So if we agree with everything our students believe, everything that they're saying about situations or everything that they want in the moment, we are actually not being neurodiversity affirming because we might be agreeing with inaccurate evaluation of situations. How we flip that and become neurodiversity affirming is that we can encourage productive self-talk and self-evaluation so that we're giving them the skills that they need in order to self-regulate and self-evaluate. Simply validating does not allow this reflective process to happen. And in a way, it is another example of either doing the executive functioning for kids or allowing them to avoid a task that's going to help them build an important skill that will build resilience. And then a final point in way of thinking about this 
is that we are not being neurodiversity affirming if we completely ignore things like social executive functioning or if we only address it in an academic setting. Now, there is a place for teaching certain skills and priming and preparing in a separate setting. And some of that might look somewhat academic or might be delivered in a format that's pretty structured. But this is where we need to consider multiple service delivery models because that alone is not going to be effective. So the way that we become neurodiversity affirming and give them what they need is that we're teaching social executive functioning using varied service delivery models. So this would involve things like training, coaching others, and making sure that those supports are in place across the day. And we consider all of these areas. What is backed by evidence, especially peer-reviewed evidence? What takes our clinical expertise in our own problem solving into consideration? And what takes the client perspectives and what they need into consideration, working on executive functioning is the way that we become neurodiversity affirming and evidence-based. The reason that this is true is because there is a ton of evidence that shows that these skills are important for adulthood and that they are tied to the cluster of symptoms that we're often seeing in students that are struggling in these areas. And there's also evidence that these skills can be improved. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you want to check out the full training, go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EFleadership. In this training, I reveal why kids continue to experience anxiety or behavioral challenges even though they're going to therapy or have a behavior plan, common mistakes multidisciplinary teams make when teaching executive functioning, and why lists, planners, and behavior charts often aren't working, as well as why kids continue to struggle with problem solving and friendships even though they're going to therapy and social skills groups. So to check out the full training, go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EF leadership. As always, it helps me so much if you share these episodes with your friends or colleagues, if you found them helpful. If you rate and review the DeFacto Leaders podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And finally, if you're interested in being on the show, or if you know someone that would be a great guest for the show, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE 
to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.